Hello, everyone. I'm doing this podcast on call at the hospital. So if the acoustics are a little weird, it's because I'm literally in a conference room getting this podcast recorded. But I couldn't wait to get this done because I was so excited to see that the July 2021 Green Journal had an article from my old faculty, my old institution at Parkland Hospital. So in this podcast, we're going to cover nifedipine for acute tocolysis. Do y'all do it? Because I know that you probably do. It's super popular. But does it actually work? And does it actually influence or impact neonatal outcomes? So let's cover nifedipine for tocolysis now. Parkland is just a fantastic, wonderful institution, and it goes back in history, and I'm thankful for my time there. Shoot, I have a Parkland baby. My first child was born at Parkland Hospital. But you know, Parkland also takes a lot of jabs for some of the things that they do. But the truth is, everything that they do really is evidence-based. Tocolysis is not part of the management of preterm labor at Parkland, and they took a lot of heat for that for years. But the truth is that tocolysis really may not be what we have all hoped or expected that it would be. We typically use tocolysis, of course, mainly to get steroids on board for fetal lung maturity at gestational ages less than 34 weeks or up to 33 weeks and 6 days. However, even in 2020, the American College of OBGYN declared that although tocolytic therapy, which is like calcium channel blockers or NSAIDs or beta adrenergic receptor agonists or even MAG, even though they can provide some short-term prolongation of pregnancy and that can allow the administration of anti-endocorticosteroids, there is no evidence that tocolytic therapy results in improved neonatal benefit or pregnancy prolongation resulting in significant improved neonatal outcomes. Now, Dagnabbit, how is it possible that I'm in this whole conference room and nobody's here, and as soon as I start taping somebody, somebody walks in? Y'all, I'm sure you all heard that creaky door at the end of that last section, but, well, such is life. That's what I get for doing this in the hospital. And before we get into the trial data, a random thought. Remember what the first tocolytic drug was? Now, look, I was not practicing when this was used, right? I'm not that old, but I just find it interesting. One of the first tocolytics used was IV ethanol. Yep, it was the Corona or the Dos Equis IV. Now, this was before we understood a lot of the effects of alcohol on newborn outcomes and neurodevelopment. So please don't use ethanol as an IV tocolytic. But that was one of the first recorded uses for ethanol in medicine as a tocolytic. Now, oddly, even in 2015, not long ago, the Cochrane Review took a look at that data and found, you know what, even that data that was all published in the 60s and even up to the 70s about ethanol for tocolysis, the data wasn't actually good at all. But there wasn't a lot of other choices. So even the Cochrane Review said that ethanol, one of the first tocolytics used in medicine, does not help prevent preterm birth. Now, before we get to the study, I know what you're all are thinking. Well, Procardia, I mean, we use Indocin. Now, Indocin is a very potent inhibitor of prostaglandin release because it's a cyclooxygenase blocker, remember. And it is effective. It does decrease some contraction frequency. But you've got to remember that Indocin or Indomethacin is a pretty scary drug because it does pass to the child. So if you're going to use it, use it 
under 30 weeks of gestation. I don't use it over 28 weeks, but ideally it's done under 30 weeks and for no more than 48 hours maximum. There are some studies that have used it for 72 hours, but the longer that you use it, the greater the risk of fetal adverse effects. So preferably 24 hours after an initial loading dose, up to 48 hours, but stop it as soon as possible. And remember to be cautious, try not to use it after 30 weeks of gestation. And even with indocin, a very potent inhibitor of prostaglandin release and synthesis, the data is okay, but it's really not great. And none of the data shows an actual overall reduction in neonatal mortality. So again, remember what ACOG said in 2020, yeah, we can gain a little bit of time. Yeah, we can give some steroids, but we're need to look at the long-term data, especially in terms of neonatal mortality, there really is not any change in the outcome. Okay, so back to the July 2021 publication, which was a placebo-controlled randomized trial looking at nifedipine for acute tocolysis of preterm labor out of Parkland Hospital. The report reminds us that preterm birth is the largest contributor to infant death and morbidity in the United States, and its reduction remains a national public health priority. And despite the fact that there's a variety of pharmacological agents that have been used over the past 50 years, we are still at a loss about finding a sufficient medication or a sufficient remedy that can actually prevent preterm labor where it actually means something clinically to the child. So Parkland conducted this randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial that had triple masking of nifedipine for acute tocolysis of preterm labor. Now, women that had singleton pregnancies who had uterine activity and intact membranes with a cervical dilation of 2 up to 4 centimeters between gestational ages of 28 weeks and 0 days to 33 weeks and 6 days were eligible for inclusion. Patients that were excluded included patients with PIH, chronic hypertension that required medication, placental complications like suspected abruption. In other words, any real contraindication to the use of a tocolytic agent, those patients were not allowed to participate. Women who were also enrolled in a separate study using progesterone therapy for a history of preterm birth were also excluded because that could cause some confounding in terms of the results. So they were taken out of the mix, trying to give a more clear result in terms of the outcome. The primary outcome was preterm birth before 37 weeks, and secondary outcomes included birth within 48 hours of randomization, birth within seven days of randomization, and who had a complete course of beta-methasone, remember that's two injections of 12 milligrams separated 24 hours apart. All right, so did everybody get the primary outcome? The primary outcome is delivery at term, 37 weeks or greater, and the secondary outcomes is to see if Procardia or nifedipine actually resulted in delay of delivery by 48 hours or 7 days after medication administration. After randomization, consented women received either a placebo or 20 milligrams immediate release nifedipine. That could be repeated within 90 minutes if contractions persisted. Now, this was followed by repeat study drug administration, again, either placebo or nifedipine at 20 milligrams, every four hours for a total of 48 hours. 
Now, the study protocol said that the dose could be held for a maternal heart rate exceeding 120 beats per minute, because remember that that's one of the side effects of calcium channel blockers, or if the patient develops significant hypotension. So what happened? Well, a total of 90 women were consented between May of 2014 and November of 2017. Now, let's pause there for a minute because remember, this is coming out just July of 2021. And that's why people really get irritated with academic medicine and research because it takes so long to, number one, do the darn trial, and number two, get results and then get it accepted for publication. However, even though this study recruitment period was 2014 to 2017, and it's just coming out July of 2021 doesn't mean that it's outdated because it's the same protocol that's being used in current practice today. But always take a look at the study in revolts chosen for a trial because that lets you know just more or less what was going on at that time. So yes, this was not done recently, even though it's coming out in July of 2021, but that doesn't make it invalid because it's the same medication and pretty much the same protocol that's done now using nifedipine for preterm labor prevention. All right, podcast family, so here's the spoiler. It did not work. Neither the primary study outcome, which was delivery before 37 weeks, nor any of the secondary OB outcomes were statistically significantly different between the nifedipine and the placebo group. So that's really disappointing. So from this randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial of nifedipine for acute tocolysis, there were no significant findings that showed that this medication actually worked. Acute nifedipine tocolysis failed to prevent preterm delivery before 37 weeks and was not found to significantly prolong pregnancy after treatment for either 48 hours or 7 days compared to the placebo. Additionally, neonatal outcomes were not improved by the use of nifedipine. But this really isn't that much of a shocker because in 2014, a Cochrane review of published and even unpublished randomized trials found pretty much the same thing. In this review, they reported variable benefits of tocolysis, but no significant differences in the primary outcome of birth within 48 hours of treatment or a reduction in perinatal mortality. Well, let me do a little side commentary here because that is actually one of the arguments that I've heard from very well-meaning and very well-respected physicians, some MFM physicians who have said, well, I know we're not going to change the outcome, but I do that just to get steroids on board. However, this trial showed that there was really no prolongation in time from medication administration even to 48 hours compared to placebo. So I know we all have anecdotal evidence where we've given a tocolytic and they did not deliver and we got steroids on board. Well, the truth is they probably weren't going to deliver anyway. Remember that 50% of patients who present with signs or symptoms of preterm labor will not deliver preterm. So that's good news. The problem is we just don't have a good way to figure out who is and not going to deliver with those signs or symptoms. Now I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. That's why we have cervical length and FFN. But remember how this study was designed. This was for patients who presented with contractions at a cervical dilation of two or more. In other words, that is the ACOG definition of threatened preterm labor, cervical dilation of two or more with regular contractions. And that's pretty much all you need. Plus cervical length. I'm not sure if that actually helps you when you're two centimeters dilated already. And although FFN has a limit of use up to three 
three centimeters, you're more likely going to be positive because you're already two centimeters or more based on this study design. So even though they did not use cervical length or FFN, it makes sense because they follow the true ACOG definition of preterm labor or suspected preterm labor, presence of regular contractions, and the cervical dilation of two or more. All right, so my second year tells me we have somebody in triage. So what's the take-home here as we wrap this up? Well, according to this randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial using nifedipine for acute tocolysis, there was no significant prolongation of pregnancy for even 48 hours after use. And if you didn't get 48 hours of benefit, you surely didn't get seven days of benefit, and there was no change in overall neonatal outcomes. Even though the study was not powered for neonatal outcomes, the findings of no difference between the placebo and the treatment group actually mirrors the ACOG statement that although tocolysis may result in short-term pregnancy prolongation, there's no evidence that this therapy translates into significant neonatal benefit. All right, podcast family, we did it. Even though I'm on call and I did this in a conference room with somebody walking in and getting a call about a patient triage, we still got our message across. So out of the July 2021 Green Journal out of Parkland, nifedipine for acute tocolysis may not be what we think it is because we just don't have a great choice to win this battle against preterm birth. So again, Parkland is vindicated because they don't do tocolysis. So I'll leave that rest of that management decision up to you. Do we use it? Do we not use it? Do we use Indescend? Do we use something else? Well, again, that's based on your hospital protocol and your department guidelines. But the data, truth is, medicine can only do so much. And until we have something that actually wins against this foe of preterm labor, will we really win the fight against preterm birth? Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. 